namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa bhutang dhammang sanghang namasami So since uh, we have um, 20 chapters in this book and we've just finished 12 of them, that means there's, uh, we can't uh, possibly complete everything in the time that is available during this winter retreat. And so what I thought we would do would be to um, skip over three chapters, the um, section called Practices and Perspectives, uh, and um, go straight on to the four chapters on stream entry, so that uh, <coughs> that uh, not that the other stuff is uh, is not significant, but I thought this would probably be more um, helpful and pertinent and uh, a good theme. But before we start on that, uh, a few days ago, I think before the um, the observance day, I was talking about a um, particular sutta where the the Buddha. Uh, creates a collection of puns, and he uh, says where he's um, when he's being criticised, and he says, "Yes, that's true, and, and <laughs> yeah, you could call me that, and it's true in this way, but it's not true in the other way." So the sutta that I was referring to is uh, sutta number eleven in the book of the Eights in the um, Numerical Discourses, and this took place at Viranja. So I thought I'd share that with you first of all. Uh, thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Veranja, at the foot of Neleru's neem tree. Then a Brahmin of Veranja approached the Blessed One and exchanged greetings with him. When he concluded his greetings and cordial talk, he sat down to one side and said to the Blessed One, I've heard, Master Gotama, the ascetic Gotama does not pay homage to Brahmins who are old, aged, burdened with years, advanced in life, come to the last stage, nor does he stand up for them. Or offer them a seat. This is, in this is indeed true, for Master Gotama does not pay homage to Brahmins who are old, aged, burdened with years, advanced in life, come to the last stage, nor does he stand up for them or offer them a seat. This is not proper, Master Gotama. The Buddha responds, Brahmin, in the world with its devas, Mara and Brahma, in this population with its ascetics and Brahmins, its devas and humans, I do not see one to whom I should pay homage or for whom I should stand up, or whom I should offer a seat. For if the Tathagata should pay homage to anyone, or stand up for him, or offer him a seat, even that person's head would split. <laughs> so uh, <coughs> the Buddha not wanting to anyone's head to, to uh, split open, then uh, he wouldn't do that. And so then the Brahmin says, Master Gotama lacks taste. There is Brahmin a way in which one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama lacks taste. The Tathagata has abandoned his taste for forms, sounds, odors, tastes, and tactile objects. He's cut it off at the root, made it like a palm stump, obliterated it so that it, has no, that it is no more subject to future arising. It is in this way that one could rightly say of me, the ascetic, the ascetic Gotama lacks taste. But you did not speak with reference to this. 
Master Gautamar is not convivial. There is Brahmin a way in which one could rightly say of me that the ascetic Gautamar is not convivial. The Tathagata has abandoned conviviality with forms, sounds, odors, tastes, and tactile objects. He's cut it off at the root, made it like a palm stump, obliterated it, so that it's no more subject to future arising. It is in this way that one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is not convivial. But you did not speak with reference to this. So these various Pali words, like lacking in taste, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi very helpfully gives all the, um, the originals. So lacking in taste is arasarupo bhavan gotamo, and then not being convivial, that means not being friendly or polite, nibhogo uh, bhavan gotamo, then, <clears throat> then the Brahmin says, Master Gotama is a proponent of non-doing. And the Pali of that one is Akiryavadho Bhavan Gotamo. There is Brahmin a way in which one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is a proponent of non-doing. For, I assert, the non-doing of bodily, verbal and mental misconduct. I assert the non-doing of the numerous kinds of bad, unwholesome deeds. It is in this way that one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is a proponent of non-doing. But you did not speak with reference to this. <sighs> Master Gotama is an annihilationist. An annihilationist. So the Pali for that is um, Ucheda, I think. Let's see. Ucheda Vado Bhavan Gotamo. <clears throat> there is Brahmin a way in which one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is an an annihilationist. For I assert the annihilation of lust, hatred, and delusion. I assert the annihilation of the numerous kinds of bad, unwholesome qualities. It is in this way that one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is an annihilationist. But you did not speak with reference to this. Uh, Master Gotama is a repeller. Not a propeller, a repeller. So, uh, Jeguchi Bhavan Gotamo. A repeller, um, meaning that he thinks that the Buddha is, is repelled by polite conduct, such as paying homage to elders. He does not do so, such things because he's, he's uh, put off by that. There is Brahmin, a way in which one could rightly say of me that the ascetic Gotama is a repeller, for I am repelled by bodily, verbal, and mental misconduct. I am repelled by the acquisition of the numerous kinds of bad, unwholesome qualities. It is in this way that one could rightly say of me the ascetic Gotama is a repeller. But you did not speak with, refer with reference to this. Master Gotama is an abolitionist. An abolitionist. And the Pali for that is Venayiko Bhavan Gotama. Venayika means one who imposes discipline, one who trains others. But in the Buddha's time, the word Venayika also seems to have acquired the meaning of one who leads astray. So that's the uh, the general translation is uh, that Bhikkhunyanamoli uses, he is one who leads astray, so like uh, taking people away from the true path. <clears throat> there, is, uh, there is Brahmin, a way in which one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is an abolitionist, for I teach the Dhamma for the abolition of lust, hatred and delusion. I teach the Dhamma for the abolition of the numerous kinds of bad and unwholesome qualities. It is in this way that one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is an abolitionist. But you did not speak with reference to this. Master Gotama is a tormentor. So tormenting is like torturing people. 
There is Brahman a way in which one could rightly say of me the ascetic Gotama is a tormentor, for I assert that bad unwholesome qualities, bodily, verbal and mental misconduct, are to be burned up. I say that someone is a tormentor when he is abandoned, for bad unwholesome qualities that are to be burned up. And he's cut them off at the root, made them like a palm stump, obliterated them so they are no more subject to future arising. The Tathagata has abandoned the bad unwholesome qualities that are to be burned up. He has cut them off at the root, made them like a palm stump, obliterated them so they are no more subject to future arising. It is in this way that one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is a tormentor. But you did not speak with reference to this. And the Pali for a tormentor is tapasi. So uh, the um, uh, tapas is heat, uh, like psychic heat. So um, he uses the word tormentor there, but um, uh, it's also the, um, the kind of style of yogic practice was to uh, undergo ascetic um, sort of self-torture for the, uh, with the idea that the more pain you experience and the more tapas you generate, the more psychic heat um, uh, that one uh, generates and, uh, and so that uh, he's calling uh, the Buddha a, a tapasin or a, a tormentor there, self-tormentor and then the last one uh, is Master Gotama is retiring which seems a strange insult <laughs> and the uh, retiring there is apagabho and uh, explains that as wanting in boldness, embarrassed, perplexed, so one who is sort of timid or um, who is, is sort of weak and afraid. So you're, uh, you know, saying you're well, you're a, you know, you're a weakling, but, uh, you're a, you're afraid. And the Buddha plays on the word as if it meant rid uh, upper of the womb, gabba. So he's a, it's a it's a, 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 a pun on the, the construction of the word. Uh, it's nearly impossible to capture this pun in translation. My use of retiring, this is Bhikkhu Bodhi speaking, my use of retiring is a clumsy attempt to bridge the two senses, timid and retired from wandering through the round of rebirths. So the, the, um, the Pali is uh, Appagabha. So Gabha is the womb, or, and uh, Appa is to be rid of or to, to, um, uh, to be parted from. So that uh, the Buddha is just taking the construction of the word and and um, and punning on it. There is Brahman a way in which one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is retiring. For I say that someone is retiring when he has abandoned the production of renewed existence, the future bed of the womb. When he's cut it off at the root, made it like a palm stump, obliterated it so that it is no more subject to future arising. The Tathagata has abandoned the production of renewed existence, the future bed of the womb. He's cut it off at the root, made it like a palm stump, Obliterated, so, obliterated it so that it is no more subject to future arising. It is in this way that one could rightly say of me, the ascetic Gotama is retiring. But you did not speak with reference to this. Suppose, Brahmin, there was a hen with eight, ten or twelve eggs that she had properly covered, incubated and nurtured. Should the first among those chicks to pierce its shell with the point of its claws and beak and, safe, uh, and safely hatch be called the eldest or the youngest? It should be called the eldest, Master Gotama. So it, is, uh, so it is the eldest among them. So too, Brahmin, in a population immersed in ignorance, become like an egg completely enveloped, I have pierced the eggshell of ignorance. I am the sole person in the world who has awakened to the unsurpassed perfect enlightenment. So I am the eldest, the best in the world. 
My energy Brahmin was aroused without slackening. My mindfulness was established without confusion. My body was tranquil without disturbance. My mind was concentrated and one-pointed. Secluded from sensual desires, secluded from unwholesome states, I entered and dwelled in the first jhana. Then he goes through the whole story of the Enlightenment and um, talks about his breakthrough uh, from the shell of ignorance. And um, then uh, after that whole account of the Enlightenment, then he says, This Brahmin was the, the third true knowledge attained by me in the last watch of the night. Ignorance was dispelled, true knowledge had arisen. Darkness was dispelled, light had arisen, as happens when one dwells heedful, ardent and resolute. This Brahmin was my third breaking out, like that of the chick breaking out of the eggshell. When this was said, the Brahmin of Varanja said to the Blessed One, Master Gotama is the eldest. Master Gotama is the best. Excellent, Master Gotama, excellent. Master Gotama has made the Dhamma clear in many ways, as though he were turning upright what had been overthrown, revealing what was hidden, showing the way to one who was lost or holding up a lamp in the darkness, so those with good eyesight can see forms. I now go for refuge to Master Gotama, to the Dhamma and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. Let Master Gotama consider me a lay follower who has from today gone forth for refuge for life. So that's uh, Sutta number 11 in the Book of the Eights, if you want to refer to that. Bhikkhu Bodhi's uh, notes are very, uh, very good. I just sort of skimmed them there. If you want more details on the, the particular Pali words. So, uh, this is chapter 16. Uh, called Sotapanna, the spiritual turning point. Section number one. <clears throat> Entering the stream. So it starts off with a uh, quotation from the uh, Sanyutta Nikaya. There, there's a whole section called the uh, Sotapati Sanyutta, the, uh, d- uh, connected discourses on the subject of stream entry. Um, and this one uh, doesn't come from that section, it comes from the one after, section 56. Bhikkhus, suppose there were a man with a lifespan of a hundred years, who could live a hundred years. Someone would say to him, come, good man, in the morning they will strike you with a hundred spears. At noon they will strike you with a hundred spears. In the evening they will strike you with a hundred spears. And you, good man, being struck day after day by three hundred spears, will have a lifespan of a hundred years, will live a hundred years. And then, after a hundred years have passed, you will make the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths to which you had not broken through earlier. It is fitting, bhikkhus, for a clansman intent on his good to accept the offer. For what reason? Because this samsara is without discoverable beginning. A first point cannot be discerned by blows of spears, blows by swords, blows by axes. And even though this may be so, because I do not say that the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by suffering or displeasure. Rather, the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied only by happiness and joy. So that's a very, the Buddha is um, brilliant at these very compelling images. So, someone offers you a deal. You're going to be skewered by a hundred spears three times a day, for every day for a hundred years. If you do the sums, that's about ten million piercings. <laughs> You don't bleed to death, you don't die, you just get skewered by a hundred spears three times a day for a hundred years. That's ten million skewerings. And if they say you're guaranteed to be uh, to uh, to realize stream entry at the end of that hundred years, um, then you should take the offer. They say, 
if you if you if you accept this number of, of skewerings, at the end of that, after a hundred years, you're guaranteed to reach stream entry. Take the offer. <laughs> the, the the Buddha was brilliant at conjuring up these images that get our attention. I think our attention has been got. <laughs> so that well, that, that's the point. Is that it's uh, it's something that will be extremely painful and off-putting and and difficult. But if you are said you're guaranteed to to receive uh, to uh, to realize stream entry at the end of it, then so you should you should take the deal. It's a good deal. But then he also says at the end, but don't think that uh, entering the stream is is something that's accompanied by suffering or displeasure. Rather, the breakthrough to the four noble truths is accompanied only by happiness and joy. So uh, that's also um, uh, the, one of the ways that the Buddha brings these the very powerful, clear you know, similes or images to mind and, and uses them to, to illustrate this, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the kind of uh, importance of this, uh, this particular spiritual uh, turning point or this, this particular uh, <coughs> quality of realization. It would now be useful, uh, sorry, it would be useful now to direct our attention to the fruits of the training. The above image vividly displays the urgent necessity of realizing the Dhamma. The, quote, breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths, unquote, is usually equated with the entering of the stream of Dhamma, Sotapati. And the next uh, passage comes from the Mahavaga. This is uh, Bhikkhu Moli's translation. When he saw that Yasa's mind was ready, receptive, free from hindrance, eager and trustful, he expounded to him the teaching peculiar to the Buddhas. Suffering, its origin, its cessation, and the path to its cessation. Just as a clean cloth with all marks removed would take dye evenly, so too, while Yasa sat there, the spotless, immaculate vision of the Dhamma arose in him. All that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. So uh, this morning we had the chant, we chanted the um, Anatalakana Sutta, and so that uh, <coughs> is one of the places where you get this phrase, Yankinchi Samudaya Damang Sabantang Niroda Damanti. All that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. And so that's one of the, the most common ways that stream entry is, uh, uh, is signified, is that uh, insight into impermanence. And um, that phrase is used to so to indicate that uh, seeing of the deathless or the, um, the the realization of stream entry. So the other three most common ways are um, the breaking of the first three fetters, which we'll come to la- later in this uh, reading. Which is uh, the first one is self-view, sakayaditi. Second one is uh, skeptical doubt, vichikicca, uh, doubt about what is the path and what is not the path. And then the uh, third one is um, sila pataparamasa, or attachment to rules, conventions, rites, and rituals, and such like. So that's the the second most common form. And then the uh, uh, the third most common form that stream entry is signified is um, uh, unshakable faith in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and the and purity in terms of, of sila. So that uh, there's those four factors are sort of, uh, indicative. There's other ways as well, but those are the the three main ways that stream entry is, is sort of uh, uh, indicated or, or described. 
So then uh, Ajahn Pasana goes on to say, Although Nibbāna is the highest and most worthy goal for one practicing the Buddha's teachings, the thought of ever attaining the sublime nature of that goal can appear daunting. So, to show the point of access to that goal, it's often a useful exercise to contemplate the first level of realization, stream entry. This helps to provide a clearer sense of what needs to be done in the first stage of the practice and to provide a reminder of the practice's positive and attainable fruits. Therefore, exploring the various facets and aspects of stream entry should be a fruitful endeavor, as there tends to be little talk about or discussion of this quote-unquote lowly attainment, which often lives in the shadow of complete realization, Nibbana, or Arahanship. Particularly in a modern Western culture, inundated by advertising and the overstimulation of the consumption ethic, the mind can be constantly searching for anything with a superlative, prefacing it. The ultimate, the perfect, the refined, the exquisite. If this is the case in our spiritual aspirations, we will tend to overlook the foundations when trying to reach the ultimate too quickly. This impatience can easily lead to frustration and a feeling that the goal is impossible to attain. So, reflecting on stream entry can play a very important role especially in that it allows us to see what can be incorporated into, into our daily lives and practice. So this is a very uh, important point and one of the main reasons why uh, uh, Ajahn Pasano put this, uh, the, almost half of his whole section of the, of the book, you know, four chapters on stream entry, because, and this is, he's seen as a very uh, significant point, is that people... Uh, particularly in the West, and I mean, also we were living in California at the time, which is sort of even more kind of extremist, that yeah. people want you know, the, the, the best, the, the highest, the kind, of, uh, the kind of most superior, the fastest, you know, bigger, faster, bigger, faster, better, or smaller, faster, better. Yeah, you're talking about um, you know, the size of, your, uh, uh, of your, your cell phone. Well, it used to be smaller, faster, better. <laughs> Getting bigger again now. But uh, there's this. Um, I just I want to go for the for the tops. Whatever's the best, that's what I want. And so then people would say, focus on total enlightenment. Well, they want to go and, and listen to the the latest guru in in the uh, in the Bay Area, uh, who's sort of uh, yeah, uh, yeah, promoting the possibilities of total enlightenment over the weekend. <laughs> and oh, wow, have you been to see here this um, this uh, this great uh, this great teacher? You know this uh, the latest guru to come through, and and um, <clears throat> and so there's that kind of attraction to the sort of uh, the the exalt the most exalted or the highest or the, the thing, or total realization. Yeah, of course, that's what you want. And so then that catches the attention, just like the promise of a of a of a well made advert, and then. Then the the grim reality of meeting your own mind, <laughs> it's continuing obstructions of greed, hatred, delusion, and such like. Then you feel like well, I can never get there. This is it's hopeless. It's uh, I can't uh, I can't practice. It. You know, enlightenment is impossible for me. And then feeling disappointed or feeling that things are, are hopeless. And so that that um, particularly in the in the West, uh, it's a little less acute here in, in England than in the States, but it's uh, it's a very commonplace experience, experience there trying to teach. In that environment, and so uh, he uh, he made a wanted to make a point, especially you know, in the context of this book, of saying that 
the uh, the goal of stream entry is not to be overlooked. You might think, well, that's only that kind of fourth. No, it's just like <laughs> stage four. You know, it's like it's kind of you can do much better than that. That's just kind of kindergarten attainment. It's just like not even graduating from high school. It's just so you got a certificate for swimming in width of the swimming pool. You know, so, <laughs> so what? So that uh, he was wanting to, to uh, clarify the, the many, many teachings about stream entry and also point out that it's not insignificant. It's, if uh, a being has, has realized stream entry, they're guaranteed to, to realize total enlightenment within seven lifetimes. Guaranteed over and over again that, that, that the... the, the uh, the total enlightenment is uh, is going to be realized, if not in this lifetime, in, in a, a maximum of seven lifetimes. The gates to the lower realms are closed, as it says. If, you know, if you Buddhist mythology and uh, the Buddhist teachings are something that you trust, that means it's uh, if uh, a being has realized stream entry, they can't be born as an animal or in, uh, in the ghost realm or the hell realms. It's impossible that. Uh, it says over and over, the gates to the lower realms are closed. It's, it's a, uh, the mind can't descend to those those uh, coarser levels, uh, and so that you know, the the um, the actuality of stream entry and the many blessings that it brings that, that are covered in these chapters uh, are not insignificant. So that uh, he put a lot of effort into presenting uh, this um, precisely because of this this kind of uh, dynamic that people they, they try to do something uh, that's out of the, they sort of aim for an Olympic standard of uh, of attainment and then feel like oh you know there's no point me trying to you know go for a go for a run you know around the block because you know I can't compete in the ten thousand meet in the Olympic ten thousand meters <laughs> well, that doesn't mean that there's no point running around the block but uh, just because you can't win an Olympic medal doesn't mean to say it's not worth doing so that. Uh, that um, that's the spirit within which the, these uh, the, the, this, these chapters are put together, and uh, the effort to help people to understand what constitutes stream entry and to um, reflect on the worthiness of of that as a, as an aim within uh, within one's lifetime. Uh, to become arahant, uh, stream entry is the first stage, right? Mm-hmm. So. Does it mean that we can skip this to jump to Arahan, or we have to go? If you're really sharp, you can. <laughs> like say that the um, uh, Bahia, say for example, the one who has um, uh, had the encounter with the Buddha in the in the street, and uh, so Bahia um, was a wanderer. He'd never met the Buddha before. He'd never had never heard the Buddha's teaching before. He he want, he tracked down the Buddha to try and meet him and to hear his teaching, and so he uh, was able to become an arahant just on hearing one short discourse. So um, <coughs> the uh, his uh, uh, the, and so the Buddha said he was the one who's understood the teaching uh, most most completely and, and most quickly of any of his uh, any of his disciples. So that whether. Um, uh, in terms of of the precise details of mental changes, whether one's kind of kind of racing through sotapanna, sakadagami, anagami, all the way to arahantship, or whether you just the mind goes straight to arahantship, I you know, I, uh, uh, I can't say what, what will be the the 
the case in every situation. But there certainly there are many um, instances where people are you know, listening to the Buddha and or, or they they realize um, full enlightenment um, when they they are uh, then in, haven't even been a stream entrant. Seemingly from the from the stories that are told. Or their you know their their minds are, are very um, very confused and and destructive. And there's, there's a story of one of the arahant nuns, who's about to ha- she's been a nun for twenty five years and her mind is just kind of crazy all over the place. She's so uh, despairing and um, feels like there's there's nothing she can do with her mind. She's she's climbed up a tree and she's tied a rope round the the branch of a tree and got it round her neck, ready to commit suicide. She's just about to hang herself. She's sitting on the branch of the tree, ready to jump, and she puts the, the, the rope around her neck, and she and then then at that moment, then her mind goes quiet and she realizes arahanship. Don't try it. <laughs> I absolutely forbid. <laughs> Just because it worked for her, it doesn't mean it'll work for everyone. <laughs> No, she well, she uh, she uh, uh, took the rope off and climbed down. She became an arahant. She uh, and her stories are in the her her verses and her story is in the Terry guitar. Hmm? Well, she'd been a nun for twenty five years, so she would have been at least forty five. <laughs> well, I think she'd probably she'd probably have a she'd probably make a theme of don't despair, you know. You think you have troubles, boy. You know, I was I was really out there. And it would be a great teaching device, you know. To, oh, she's the nun who nearly hanged herself, you know. But but, but uh, she's an arahant, so don't 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 give up. You know, so. <laughs> A sotapanna is one who has reached the first stage of liberation, stream entry, sotapati. The early commentators emphasized that the stream entrer had a first taste of nibbana, and the motivation arising from that initial realization would, without a doubt, provide the impetus that would carry the aspirant on to the final goal. After one has realized stream entry, one's full awakening is assured in not more than seven lifetimes. This is nothing to be looked down upon. Stream enters will not be reborn in any of the lower realms. They will at least be born in the human realm or higher. This is a great blessing. The ultimate goal of the teachings is not a one-shot affair that either you get it or you, you miss it completely and are forever out of luck. There is a progressive maturing of insight into the nature of the goal that leads the practitioner to relinquish the obstructions of blocking realization and to fulfill the qualities commensurate with realization. A good example of this is the account of the Buddha teaching his first five disciples. With this teaching, Kandanya was able to understand and realize stream entry. Over the following days, the Buddha continued to instruct the five until they had all entered the stream. Then, on hearing the Anatalakana Sutta, the discourse on the characteristic of not-self, they were all fully freed. Although some people may be quicker than others in reaching the goal, the structure of the unfolding insight is common to all. 
The most familiar description of the stages of realization contains four levels. The stream enterer, Sotapanna, once returner, Sakadagami, non returner, Anagami, and one fully enlightened, Arahant. These levels are differentiated according to the fetters, Samyojana, that a liberated person relinquishes at each stage. So a fetter is like, a, like handcuffs or chains or shackles, the kind of things you get uh, tied up in or locked up in when you get arrested or imprisoned or <coughs> uh, tied up in some way. So these uh, next couple of uh, readings are from the uh, Sangyutta Nikaya, section 45, suttas 179 and 180. Because there are these five lower fetters. What five? Identity view, sakayaditi, uh, doubt, vichikicha, the distorted grasp of rules and vows, silapata paramasa, sensual desire, kamaraga, and ill will, biapada. These are the five lower fetters. Because these are the five higher fetters. What five? Lust for form, ruparaga, lust for the formless, aruparaga, conceit, mana, or asmi mana, Restlessness, udacha, and ignorance, avicca. These are the five higher fetters. And then this is from the Majima, uh, Sutta number 118. In this Sangha of bhikkhus, there are bhikkhus who are arahants with taints destroyed, who have lived a holy life, done what had to be done, laid down the burden, reached the true goal, destroyed the fetters of being, and are completely liberated through final knowledge. In the Sangha of Bhikkhus, there are Bhikkhus who, with the destruction of the five lower fetters, are due to reappear spontaneously in the pure abodes and there attain final Nibbana without ever returning from that world. In the Sangha of Bhikkhus, there are Bhikkhus who, with the destruction of three fetters and the attenuation of lust, hate and delusion, are once returners, returning once to this world to make an end of suffering. In the Sangha of Bhikkhus, there are Bhikkhus who, with the destruction of the three fetters are stream enterers, no longer subject to perdition, bound for deliverance, headed for enlightenment. So uh, the, um, the, uh, the Arahant has uh, broken all of the ten fetters, the ten Samyojana. The Anagami, the non-returner, and the non-returning means that uh, someone who's reached the level of Anagami, if they, uh, as a human being, in the human life, they, they reach the level of Anagami, then uh, their next life, they will be born in what is called the uh, the pure abodes, the, the Sudavasa, which are a particular group of five uh, high Brahma realms called the, the, the that are sort of, uh, known just to be the, the places where anagamis uh, are reborn. So anagami, they don't return. They're non-returners. They don't return to the human realm. Sakadagami is a once-returner, so that's a, they are, say they would be uh, reborn in the human realm, but just uh, you know, no more than one time. And then, uh, so that the uh, Arahant has broken all ten fetters. The Anagami, they have completely broken the first five, but they're still subject to the the, 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 the upper five, the, the what they call the five higher fetters. So an Anagami is still subject to Ruparaga and Aruparaga, so that when it, uh, and that means... Um, the uh, attachment to uh, to sort of concentrated, bright, um, blissful mind states. So the the, the uh, states of jhana that are based around 
form, so like images or perceptions, or um, they're attached to the blissful uh, concentrated states that are uh, around formless jhana, so that the, the mind absorbed into states of concentration that are, are, are formless and not based around any particular perception. And they're still subject to asmimana, the conceit of identity, of I am, and restlessness, udacca, and, and ignorance. So then the Sakadagami, the once returner, they have, uh, they are, are still subject to a certain degree of, of sense desire and a certain degree of ill will. So that they've, what they say, attenuated lust and uh, and aversion, karma raga, so sense desire, and uh, and aversion. So Sakadagamis can still get a bit lustful and a bit grumpy. They're not completely free of, of that, and. Uh, Stream enters can get very lustful and very grumpy. Well, not very, but still, still subject to uh, kamaraga and uh, biapada, ill will, so that um, that <coughs> the the um, degree of refinement uh, of the you know, general mind state is, is signified by the the number of uh, fetters that have been relinquished, and so that the um, <clears throat> the, and then the the degree to which w- the mind can fall away from those different sort of stages of realization are, are indicated by the the kinds of, of birth that uh, can take place. As a question, this occurs to me: uh, once the uh, could become That's correct. You can spend a long time in the Sudavasa. If there's um, the whole sort of technology of, of non-returners, is 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 uh, there's some suttas that talk about it in quite a lot of detail, and that it's not just one lifetime in the Sudavasa, but you can spend a few lifetimes up there. In and the the it, it's my understanding is that's the basis of Pure Land Buddhism because Sudavasa literally means a pure abode. I'm sorry, pure land Buddhism is the, is about the pure abodes, and so that uh, the um, so for people who are uh, still got certain attachment to existence, the idea of reaching anagami and then uh, <coughs> spending a long long because your lifetime in the in the Sudavasa is very very long, like twenty thousand eons or eighty four thousand eons in the in the kind of uh, upper ones. So the idea you have a really, really long time in a totally blissful state, and then you pop off to Nibbana while you're there. To a lot of people, that's quite attractive. Like a really long retirement in a really nice place. <laughs> so that uh, it has an em- emotional appeal to it. But you're absolutely right. It also, if you think about it, it means that there are certain people who are born as stream entrants and once returners when they pop into existence. So when you see the little kids running around here, think, oh, it's noisy children. That that, that noisy child might be a, a stream enterer. Even large children who don't run around, <laughs> who enter monasteries and shave their heads, they might have been stream enterers once returners when they were born. There's no easy way to tell. But that's the, if, if this... Uh, dynamic is uh, and the, the Buddha's teachings are to be trusted and there's oh it is these kind of um, 
this layout, this pattern is described over and over and over, over again, then that's the, the, the case. The, they wouldn't, as an infant, they wouldn't be, uh, they wouldn't have the kind of mental articulation to be able to sort of fulfill those factors, but the, the, the potential would be there when a child is born. But they are already a stream enter when they arrive, for some people. Well, the 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 um, uh, the the degree of, of insight is very very high in, the, in those beings, even though the, the experience is very pleasant. But it's um, uh, my my understanding of this is that because the, there's very little dukkha in those realms, then the way of, of insight uh, is developed through analysis, like and. Like what we what we have is the Abhidhamma, the kind of structure of mind and the the universe is explored, and through that uh, analytical insight and investigation, more than through dukkha, that's the the, the method of of um, of say realization. That's why we we chant the the Abhidhamma when we do a funeral. That's that's the source of that uh, of that tradition. Why we chant Kusala Dhamma, Kusala Dhamma, Hetu Pachayo, and those Abhidhamma chants. The reason why those are chanted is because there's a sort of um, assumption slash wishful thinking that the being who's passed away has already gone up into the heavenly realms, and that uh, beings in the in the heavenly realms can't understand. There's not enough dukkha to be able to comprehend the four noble truths, and so that the they they need the Abhidhamma to create a, a, a pathway of the development of insight. And one of the, the, the stories, the, the mythology around the creation of the Abhidhamma is that that's how the Buddha taught the Deva who'd been his mother, that he went up to the Tavatinsa heaven and, and taught her there. And because life is so blissful, uh, that then he created this analytical approach uh, to help uh, her to, to understand the nature of reality because... Dukkha is is too intangible. It's too. It's it's not. It's not something that's impactful in those realms. And so then the Suddhavasa would be yeah, way way higher than the Tavatinsa heaven. So that in, in the same way that as I mean, there's also a very high level of of insight already. But then the 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 sort of that which cause catalyzes the liberation would be more that uh, analytical investigation and. Uh, Understanding, rather than the, the experience of dukkha. That's what the kind of thing I've I've been. Then I, this has come up for discussion in the past. Has been how it's been explained to me. Hmm? Yes, the thought is still accessible. That's <coughs> the um, there uh, there are a number of suttas which talk about the different kinds of anagami. Let's see if I can find that in the, um, I think particularly in the Anguttara, if I remember correctly, 
There's there's a um, a description of the different kinds of anagami that uh, how uh, and the Buddha uses uh, the Buddha uses this imagery of a of a um, of a, a blacksmith's shop and a um, a, a, uh, a piece of red hot iron being broken off. And uh, uh, why he uses that as as an image to talk about anagamis, I'm not quite sure, but uh, I probably can't find it. Uh, but yeah, he uses the like the, the a chip of red hot iron being broken off a a, a piece of iron that's that's being beaten by a, a blacksmith, and then that uh, sudden uh, some chips will they'll, they'll go cool even as they're flying through the air; they'll, they'll cool down. Another, um, <clears throat> it gets cool as it hits the ground. Another uh, gets, uh, another lands on the ground and then stays hot for a while and then it cools down. Another lands on the ground and it catches some straw that's on the floor of the, of the blacksmith's shop and then it causes all kinds of smoke and fumes. And he uses those, um, the kind of speed with the, of the cooling down of the chip of red-hot iron to describe the different kinds of, of uh, qualities of anagamis. Uh, Let's see if I can find it. Nope. <laughs> I'll, I'll hunt it down. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, you see, uh, there's one, because there, there's one kind of anagami that is called an attainer of Nibbana in the interval, which means that after the ending of their, their life as a human being, as an anagami, they've realized Nibbana sort of en passant. And as soon as they appear in the, uh, in the, the Suddhavasa, they're an arahant at birth. That they, they, they're, as soon as they're born, they, they're an arahant. So it's called uh, attainer of arahant, arahantship in the interval. And um, an attainer of Nibbāna upon landing, an attainer of Nibbāna without exertion, attainer of Nibbāna through exertion, and one bound upstream heading towards the Akinita realm. So I've got the, the list here, but it's not the one with the chip of red-hot iron. Let me see if I can... If you had Bhikkhu Bodhi here, he could just... <laughs> <laughs> he would be able to tell you the page number. Let's see... No, it doesn't give you the other reference. Uh, I can track it down, but um, but those are the so an attainer of nibbana in the interval. So in the interval between the end of the human life and appearing in the Sudavasa, then uh, on landing, uh, so um, upon landing, so you know to start after arrival, then um, without exertion, and then with exertion, and then. Um, after several lifetimes, going through different lifetimes in the in the uh, Sudavasa, like you you have twenty thousand eons in the in the lowest Sudavasa, then another twenty or thirty thousand in the next one, and another forty or fifty thousand in the next one, then eighty four thousand in the Akinita. Um, hmm? 
no, there's no Amitabha Buddha in the Pali. So, but the, it's um, the uh, there's a, a, like a the, the the slowest kind of, of um, anagami has a long, long time in the Sudavasa before realizing nibbana. But I, I'll track that down. It's, it shouldn't be difficult to find the uh, the red hot iron chip. But that this one with this the list is in Book of the Threes, Sutra number eighty-eight. If you want to look that up. Well, none of my teachers have been remotely enthusiastic about it. <laughs> so I faithfully follow Lumpur Cha, Lumpur Sumato, and uh, so <coughs> they were not particularly interested in Abhidhamma. And so, uh, you know, in some uh, some places, like in uh, in Burma and Sri Lanka, then there's a, a people who've used Abhidhamma as a su- support for meditation practice, you know, throughout their lives, and it, and it, and it's very uh, pertinent and helpful. But my experience through um, training in Thailand and the Thai forest tradition is that it has not been important to, to my teachers, and so I, I haven't really inherited that. Ajahn Buddha Dasa said. Abhi means much, too much. <laughs> That's kind of his whole commentary on it. You know, like. <laughs> because it's also, it's very neat. You see, what you, what you have with the, with the suttas and the vinaya, it's not neat. It's, scra- <coughs> it's scrappy. It overlaps, it contradicts itself. It's more like a collage. You know what a collage is? We have... Like lots of little pictures that sort of overlap each other and they kind of match, they don't kind of don't match. It's a sort of, uh, it's like a, a, a collage of teachings and principles. Abhidhamma is all very neat, everything goes in its box and it stays in its box. And all the boxes line up neatly, like a kind of a, 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 a forestry plantation, all the trees are in straight lines. Whereas uh, the suttas and the vinaya are more like a natural wild forest, that things are not in straight lines, they're not in neat boxes, and so um, uh, the even though it might be, it's not saying it's invalid, but uh, it <coughs> um, that the emphasis that uh, my own teachers and, and the Amravati's sort of background is. Um, Far more on using your own meditation, your own experience of, of mind and, and life and, and the world to to be your reference point. Because it can easily be that, and this does happen, someone becomes an expert in Abhidhamma, they can explain everything, they can kind of recite all sort of 93 different uh, types of, of mind state or the, you know, so many different sorts of, of um, conditional relations and so on. And they explain it all in thorough detail, and they can still be viciously critical of the monk who lives in the next room, you know, <laughs> and kind of, <laughs> and uh, and be carrying around all kinds of grudges and resentments or, or uh, uh, selfish uh, ambitions, and and still be an expert in Abhidhamma. <laughs> so that uh, the the kind of emphasis the you know, Lumpur Sumedho would would give is is to Notice what your mind is doing with this moment. You know, not just getting caught, sort of spending a lot of time 
learning a lot of theory but what theory you do you do learn make sure it's it's meaningful in terms of informing your understanding of how your your mind works Um, well, uh, my uh, my understanding is that it was it, uh, in terms in terms of scholarship that the uh, the Pali of the Abhidhamma it, it's definitely not from the Buddha's time. It's from a it's from a few hundred years after, and that uh, even though that pe- some people would regard that as heretical, and but, but just the structure of the of the, the the use of the words, the structure of the sentences. Uh, it's all pointing to a, a later period, several hundred years after. It's not, it's not the same language as the suttas and the, and the vinya, which are much more consistent. And then, you know, there, there are some people who have extraordinarily uh, uh, acute powers of concentration and are able to to uh, to witness the, the the mind in its sort of minute activity. And certainly, I've heard you know, some of them say that you know that. What the way the mind works is accurately represented in in the certain aspects of, of Abhidhamma, but I, uh, but I feel that the general principle of getting it all to line up and behave, you know, sort of be neatly packaged, it it doesn't, uh, um, it's it's not helpful that way because you know, it's like people are not like that, <laughs> and that uh, there's cer- certain aspects of. I think to dismiss the whole thing, say Abhidhamma is a waste of time, is, is is foolish. But to be using that as the framework for understanding people and your relationships and your mind states and your your uh, your the, the relationship of your mind to your body is it, it's it's uh, missing the point so easily. So let's read another couple of passages here. The number of stream enterers in the Buddha's time was relatively large. And this is uh, from the Sotapati Vaga, the uh, connected discourses on stream entry. In the presence of the Blessed One, friends, I heard and learnt this. Bhikkhus, those bhikkhus are few who, by the destruction of the taints in this very life, enter and dwell in the taintless liberation of mind, liberation by wisdom, realizing it for themselves with direct knowledge. Those bhikkhus are more numerous who, with the utter destruction of the five lower fetters, have become of spontaneous birth, due to attain nibbana there, in the pure abodes, without returning from that world. Further, friends, in the presence of the Blessed One, I heard and learnt this. Bhikkhus, those bhikkhus are few who have become of spontaneous birth. Those bhikkhus are more numerous who, with the utter destruction of three fetters, and with the diminishing of greed, hatred and delusion, have become once returners who, after coming back to this world only one more time, will make an end to suffering. Further, friends, in the presence of the Blessed One, I heard and learnt this. Those bhikkhus are few who have become once returners. Those bhikkhus are more numerous who, with the utter destruction of three fetters, 
have become stream enterers, no longer bound to the netherworld, fixed in destiny, with enlightenment as their destination. A few inferences can be drawn from the brief introduction to this next sutta. One is that the attainments are not so formidable and daunting that lay people living within society are not able to become anagamis, sakadagamis and sotapanas. It's also noteworthy to look at the numbers and see that there are almost twice as many once-returners as non-returners, and more than five times as many stream winners as once-returners. And so this is a passage from the Diganikaya, uh, translated by Morris Walsh. Thus have I heard, once the Lord was staying at Nadika, at the brick house. And at that time the Lord was explaining the rebirths of various devotees up and down the country, who had died and passed away. Kasis and Kosalans, Vajians and Malas, Chetis and Mangsas, Kurus and Panchalas, Machas and Surasenas, saying, this one was reborn there, that one was reborn here. More than 50 Nadikan devotees, having abandoned the five lower fetters, were reborn spontaneously and would attain Nibbana without returning to this world. Over 90 of them, having abandoned three fetters and weakened greed, hatred and delusion, were once returners, who would return to this world one more time and then make an end of suffering. And more than 500, having abandoned three fetters, were stream winners, incapable of falling into states of woe, certain of Nibbana. <clears throat> so you have um, uh, 50 anagamis, 90 sakadagamis, and over 500 stream enterers, just among the nadikas. So that, uh, that and these are amongst the, the uh, various different lay, uh, lay people, of the, lay disciples of the Buddha. Whenever I, I hear about this kind of stages, like a stream enter or like a once return, this kind of thing, I cannot help feeling like I, I fail. Completely <laughs> fail. This is how I feel. Whenever I hear about this kind of like a stage or like a piece of work on this spiritual territory, That's the the um, the bitterness of self-view. <laughs> so, like Lumpur Sumedhu would say, every time I think about myself, I feel depressed. <laughs> That's uh, me equals depression. Like, so the I, I, in a way, it's better to phrase it. I, I is a failure, and so that it's. But, but you're not. You're you're not I. You're not the 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 I is not who and what we are. The point of these teachings is not to encourage believing in those thoughts, but uh, the um, the point of of speaking in this kind of a way is also not to create kind of ambitiousness or competitiveness, but to sort of understand the structure that the, the Buddha laid out 
and also to be encouraging uh, to uh, <coughs> to uh, say help us to be say changing the perspective that uh, that we have also just you know just hearing the mind making those kind of judgments say like, I'm a failure I'm no good I'm no good I'm no good it's the to be able to reflect oh this is the I'm no good mantra there it goes <laughs> just because you think it doesn't mean it's true and so that then the, the practice you, you bring the practice to a mindfulness of that oh look there it goes again <laughs> hello I'm no good I'm no good I'm no good I'm no good I'm a failure I'm a failure I'm a failure and so that uh, the capacity of the mind to reflect uh, and when, in the next section we talk about the um, the four supportive conditions for stream entry you know one of them is is wise reflection yoni so manasikara that kind of investigation uh, is one of the factors that's of support, supportive of stream entry and it's exactly that kind of exploring I look at this you know as soon as I think about myself I feel I'm a failure isn't that interesting yeah <laughs> that's the sort of the, the, the defining judgment of what this is equals failed <coughs> Where does that come from? What's that about? So that the mind can explore those judgments and, and uh, those habits of, of self-creation. Previously you said about the, if there is a child then it's fully enlightened. Then no, uh, I didn't say about a, a child. It might be No, the child might be a, born as a stream entrant. It wouldn't be born if it was Narahand, It wouldn't be born. All right. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and if it's a stream enter, you said he or she wouldn't have the mental quality. What do you mean by that? Well, because a, a baby doesn't have um, the capacity for reflective thought. That not until it's about seven years old, you can't. Uh, the, in terms of child development, that uh, they and they wouldn't have the ability to reflect on on the four noble truths, so that there there's a spiritual maturity that's there in the sort of stream of that person's life or their potential, but the conditions for that to to ripen haven't appeared. So in the in the teachings, the, you never get an arahant that's younger than seven years old. There's a a few uh, instances where you have young children that do become arahants um, sometimes when they're just having their head shaved to become a novice <laughs> but but at the, in terms of child psychology seven is about the age <clears throat> when you're capable of abstract thought before that the, the, the mind doesn't really have the capacity to, to use reflective thought it's too, in a way it's too close to its feelings but at the age of about seven then there's that that the mind has an ability to look at itself and that younger than that it doesn't so it's it's interesting that the the buddhist tradition or where the way the scriptures speak that uh, it's at that same age that, that modern child psychology says that that kind of ability to to uh, to think in abstract ways for the mind to know itself occurs at around about that age it's also why what, you're not allowed to become a monastic until you're seven years old. So that there's the potential is there, but it just hasn't had the the, the conditions haven't 
uh, come together for to uh, to write them. Abstract thinking. What is abstract thinking? Well, it mean it means the the mind can um, form clear ideas about things that are not there. The mind can can look at a, a mood and know this is a mood. Can know a, me- a memory. This is just a this is just a memory. Or uh, it it can reflect on its own experience and so that you. Uh, that a child younger than about seven can't, uh, as my understanding of, of how the mind works, it can't can't really do that. It can't it can't separate that um, kind of quality of observation and reflection away from experience. Every feeling is really it's like it's good, it's bad. I like, I don't like. It can't say, oh, I'm liking or I'm I'm disliking. Uh, there, there's no the capacity to distance the, the the awareness from its object isn't there. So we're teaching children about feelings by taking them through vocabulary, what is what. And they're purely in the now moment, that's what we're trying to do. Well, the, the children can be purely sort of in the present moment, but they're also, suffering is absolutely real. For them, you know, a young child, when they're suffering, that's absolutely real. They can't get a perspective on that suffering. You can't say this is just the experience of dukkha. <laughs> 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 but, <laughs> they can't, or like, or like, you're just feeling happy because you got what you wanted. Like, <laughs> it's like, shut up. It's just, that has no meaning. But at the age of about seven. A child can recognize, oh, look at that, I got what I wanted, and now I'm happy. Look at that. Well, I'm upset because my sister got the, got the present and I didn't. Uh-huh. And, and before the age of seven, it, it's, it, it's very difficult for, as far as I understand, in most normal human development, it doesn't, the, the mind can't get that kind of distancing. But at the age of about seven, then it's like, okay, the, 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 the equipment is there. You know. The system runs. But I see the time has crept around to nearly 10 past, so let's call it quits today.